It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. We are 22 episodes deep in the wheelhouse now, Jerry. And I, I don't know, is this our first, O'Keefe, maybe you'll know, is this our first trade episode? The D. Gordon trade. It's the first in-season trade episode, which I was would have been shocked if this was our first wheelhouse with the trade on the same day. So congratulations, Jerry. It's your second, your first in-season trade wheelhouse podcast. This is exciting. It is exciting. I, th- I think there have been a couple of uh, maybe smaller transactions, but we've been largely, by our standards, largely dormant. Yeah, pre- pretty boring, pre- Jerry. Yeah. Let's, let's use the right word here. Yeah. By Jerry's standards, you we've know. We've been snoozing. You know, but we, we, we did. We, we woke up this morning and realized hey, there are things something. we can do. <laughs> well, you know, we, we're, we kind of th- ripped apart the show sheet for today. Uh, we will still talk about some great things with your ball club right now. They're playing incredibly well, coming off a series win against the A's. We are recording this at Safeco Field in the Legends Room uh, hours before first pitch of a fantastic long homestand. Paxton up on the mound tonight, game one against the Twins. Uh, but the news of the day, Jerry, you have gone out and you have made a trade with your best friend in baseball, Eric, of the Tampa Bay Rays, their general manager. And Alex Colomay and Denard Span are going to be Seattle Mariners. They are Seattle Mariners right now. Please, Jerry, tell us about the trade. Uh, pretty excited about this, really. We, we've we have over the course of the last ten days, obviously our situation changed a good deal, you know, with with Robbie leaving the team and having to reinvent what we were doing, so to speak, with D Gordon moving into second base, Guillermo taking over in center field, and looking every bit like that was maybe one of the smartest things we could do. He's been great. Uh, we feel like in that transition, we did we did move from a, a dynamic or impact second baseman to a dynamic impact second baseman, and we've nary skipped a beat with Guillermo Heredia just sliding over from left to play, you know, primarily center field, and and we wanted to find a way to maximize our assets and address as many of our needs as we could with some of the newfound flexibility that we had in the payroll. And we convened here as a front office on multiple occasions over, you know, over the last 10 days, I would say about mm, close to a half a dozen meetings with our baseball operations and analytics groups, talking about different ideas, thoughts, just think tank sessions. And one of the days, this, this is kind of where this was spawned, but one of the days, of, of, I think Monday of this past week, our, our analytics baseball operations group sat in their, in their office space, we call it the bullpen, and they, they carved up two whiteboards full of ideas, created a matrix with every club and the potentially interesting players that could address our needs. And then their assignment was figure out how to take our assets and make as much impact as we can without, without really hindering the future of the Mariners. And the more we could do to extend this window while making competitive additions to this club. And, and uh, Skylar Shibiyama and David Hesslink came up with this, this very idea, which what if we 
called Tampa and tapped into both Denard Span and Alex Colomay, you know, effectively answering our, our need to balance out our lineup, lengthening it, lengthening, lengthening that lineup with a veteran presence and a, and a lineup mover like Denard Span, and bring in Alex Colomay and effectively recreate maybe the Seattle version of that dynamic Indians look to the bullpen where you know, with, with Diaz and Nicasio and Vincent and Cookie now, James Pazoth's throwing so well, to add a guy like Colomay to that mix who's saved more games than any other pitcher in the American League over the last two and a half years. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty dynamic to have that guy pitching in the eighth inning in front of Eddie Diaz. So we jumped on it, made a couple of phone calls, and we were able to, to bring it home. Credit to, to Hess and to, to Skyler for coming up with such a good idea. I want to learn more about those two guys in a moment. But first on Colomay, I guess quietly, 47 saves last season, an all-star two years ago. Uh, his repertoire, I know he throws in the mid-90s. Is it a, is it a cutter? Is it, is it a slider? What is the other pitch that he's throwing? I think it's a slider, and oftentimes it breaks big, and it's a, it's it's at times a, a dynamic pitch. And he's, you know, Alex operates 93 to 96 or 7-ish with the fastball. He is generally about a 50% or so ground ball pitcher, averages right about a strikeout an inning, and has been wildly reliable as the closer in Tampa. I think only Kenley Jansen in the big leagues has more saves since the start of 2016. And like you said, it's, I mean, it's, it is an all-star resume. And, and he comes with a great reputation for his work habits and, and what he brings in the clubhouse. And maybe as importantly to us, he brings with him two more years of control beyond this year. So, you know, we anticipate that Alex Colomay is now a part of our core group and what we think is a really good bullpen moving forward where each one of these guys is with us for quite some time. Scott is like probably all 29 other managers that outside of their closer, they're not typically too eager to say this guy will pitch in this inning, this guy will pitch in that inning. And he essentially said that to the media earlier today. And based on your comments a moment ago, outside of the ninth, which is still Diaz's, I mean, this is somebody that we could see in the eighth. We could see him in a jam earlier in the sixth or the seventh. Is, is that fair to say? I think any of that is fair to say. I also think it's a benefit with as many one-run games mm-hmm. as we have played and oftentimes watching Eddie run out there three and four days in a row and maybe in April watching Juan do the same. You know, and, and coming out of that three, four-day stretch, you know, Juan Nicasio has really not been the same dynamic guy in May that he was in April. We're starting to see him get it back here in these last couple of outings. But the addition of a guy like Alex Colomay really makes them so interchangeable at times. And if Edwin Diaz needs a day, we, we can just pump in the guy that led the league in saves last year. That's, a, that's an exciting thing for a manager. It's also exciting, as I'm sure Terry Francona can attest to, when you can go get a guy of that type of pedigree and bring him in a little earlier in the game. We may not be able to, to address in an impactful way our starting rotation, we're still open to, to whatever we might need in that regard as we get into June and July. But we thought the, the highest impact we could make was keep that lineup moving through the course of this summer with a guy like Denard Spann and create some real impact and shrink the game with, with Alex Colomay, which is initially what we thought we were doing with David Phelps. And this allows us to revisit that, that theory or idea. Spann, who has played in center field has been in left field for the Rays this is a guy who will be coming to Seattle to play every day roughly I mean it's a, obviously like anybody else you're going to need a day mm-hmm. but you know the versatility Denard can play all three he's very comfortable in either center or left 
Uh, I think left field is something he's worked very hard on, according to the Rays guys this year. And most of the last decade, he played center field, and that was his spot. And and this is the first year he's played a lot of left field. And, you know, we're going to ask him to do a lot more left field than center field. But I envision that there will be a time where, you know, Mitch might slide into center or Denard might slide into center. And the benefit of having a versatile Ben Gamble, who can play both corners and spot and center if you need them, is that it creates a rotation in the outfield that I think most managers would enjoy having. Couple that with the fact that your second baseman can also go play center and your utility guy can play roughly any position on the field. It's, it, it gives Scott a lot of, of flexibility in what he's doing every day. But I would anticipate that Hanniger, you know, Span and, and Guillermo are playing mostly every day and that the, the at-bats, whether they be in left, right, or subbing in in the middle of a game will still be there for Ben. I've never had a chance to talk with Denard Span before. I hear he's just a class act and a terrific guy. One thing I cannot wait to ask him about, a story that I read on him a couple of years ago when he was with the Giants in his first spring training in Scottsdale with San Francisco, and Willie Mays is there, like Willie is so often there in Scottsdale. And he addressed Denard Span as Bernard (laughs) (laughs) the entire day. And Denard, knowing who he was talking to, said, Yep, it's Bernard. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever you need me to be. So I'm very interested to talk to Denard Span about his his memories of uh, spending his spring training with Willie Mays. Have you, have you had a chance to talk to one or both of these guys already? Talk to both of them. And, uh, you know, as you might expect, I wanted to make sure that Alex was aware that our preference was that he was going to pitch prior to the ninth inning on most nights. And uh, his response is, from all I've ever heard of Alex, is a real pro, quiet guy who works hard, teammate, knows a lot of our Dominican-born players fairly well, uh, and is also familiar with Manny Acta. And I, I let him know what the situation was, and he didn't, he didn't blink. He said, he said, I'll do whatever you need. I want to be on a good team, and uh, he's excited to come. I, I expect both will probably not be able to arrive by tomorrow, but maybe more Sunday-ish. And, uh, and when, I, when I invited Denard, Denard was a – the, the way to, that, that Denard's makeup or character was described to me when we were doing our digging, you know, our due diligence like we will before we're acquiring players – it, there's, it was a simple response. Denard's band, the best. Is it that this guy is the best is what I was told. And, and you can say that, but it's multiple people were, were of that mindset. None of our players really were aware of this, but it just so happened that these conversations were going on throughout the week. So I did share this with D. Gordon, uh, knowing that he knew Denard a little bit. And I, I went down and I asked him one day while, while they were working on his great toe, uh, I, said, I said, excuse me, great toe, but what, what do you think about the idea of, uh, of acquiring Denard Span? And immediately his eyes almost you know, came out of his head. He said, he said, are you serious? I said, yeah, that's the idea. And he said, unbelievable guy. What a pro. He fits in our clubhouse. And so today when we actually did push this deal across the goal line, I called Alex and, and Maniac, and I both spoke to Alex, who has excellent English, by the way. And uh, – and I did not call Denard. D called Denard, and then handed really? me the phone. Yeah, uh, you know. And D said you know, he, he he spoke to Denard, and then said, "I'm going to pass the phone to Jerry." And that was that was that. And 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 what is a classy response to being traded? I think Denard said it's really nice to be wanted. And uh, for a guy who's had the career that he's had, I think it's kind of remarkable. 
So just to be clear, D. Gordon broke the news to the Nards man. D. Gordon, my my new one of my assistant GM. We'll, we'll, we'll call him at least <laughs> for this week. Yeah, one, one of my one of my assistants for this week. Assistant to the general manager. Yes, which is a, an office reference, right? Yeah. <laughs> Dwight Schrute. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we try to slip one of those in each episode. Uh, okay, so Saturday slash Sunday, it sounds like maybe more the case for for these guys to arrive uh, on set here in Seattle. I need to know more about Skylar Shibiyama and David Hesslink because from the sound of it, Jerry, it just sounds like two pups with a whiteboard are helping to orchestrate or at least galvanize uh, a very impactful trade for the Mariners. What can you tell us about these two guys? First, I will say that, you know, those two guys, in addition to Forrest and John Chenier and Joel Furman and just the whole group down there, Andrew Herrera, Jesse Smith, they really answered the call on this one. And they came up with a fair number of creative ideas, uh, some that were maybe less doable than others. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Gary Brown as well, who's maybe our newest member. Um, that, that group did a wonderful job. What I learned specifically about Skyler and Hess is that one of them, I'm not sure which, has remarkably steady penmanship, which flies in the face of others in our front office who, no names, let's just say chicken scratch. <laughs> But uh, they did a great job of laying out a, a matrix, a graph of, of the players that were of interest. We were able to kind of convene around the list. They spent night and day for about three days talking it through amongst themselves what were the best ideas that they could come up with. And then we sat in a think tank room and had them present their ideas almost, almost like Shark Tank. You know? and, and, I, and as soon as Skyler was the one who, who had, the, I guess, the fortune of delivering this message, and, and Skyler has been working, you know, roughly full time here for us for weeks rather than months. You know, he's a, this is all new to him. And he presented it and, he, and later told me that it was something that he and, and Hesselink had, had conspired on. And as soon as he said, I said, I love that. That is, that works for us. And, you know, as, as much as fun as we have with the Rays, we were able to bring it together pretty quickly. But these guys do a remarkable job. They they dig deep on uh, these deep dives are such a part of their lives. And, and uh, sometimes you have to remember to pull it back up and add it into the context of a team. And we grew more as a front office group over the course of the last week. And in context with, you know, our being able to take our intellectual capital and couple it with the, the natural emotion and up and down of a, of a season, a baseball season. And I think everybody learned something this week. Since you brought up Shark Tank, are you more Cuban? Are you more Mr. Wonderful? Are you more Robert? Uh, there's, having only sparing knowledge of the show, I would say I know more Cuban. I'm somewhat familiar with Mr. Wonderful. I don't know Robert, but I would say that, that I would be more inclined to be open ears. The crazier the idea, the more I might like it. I see. Uh, I th- whoever that guy is. Well, Robert's got the better sport coat and the best hair, so... There's well, I think you just answered the question. Okay, I, I wanted There's, you know wanted to lay an assist yeah. there if I could. I think we're we've, we're on record with sport coats. It's and yeah. by the way, you wore the sport coat. I did, and John Stanton said to me, he was on the field that day with with Paxton. He said, "Nice sport coat." <laughs> is that new? And I said, "Is that new? Have you ever seen a press conference?" I said, I said "Is not only is this not new, this is the thing that legend is made of. This is like Bobby Knight's red blazer on, on the Indiana sideline." You know, or Tom McNamara's sweater vest. Well, a few things can rival that, but you, you could be right. You know, I actually, you ready for this? Uh, Jim Armitrout, who was our fine, and I mean that sincerely, fine director on television with Root Sports, 
at on Friday, May 18th at 6:52 p.m. He texted me this a very flattering photo of you. In in the sport coat because he is a listener, a downloader, and a listener to the podcast. And I I did not see you in the sport coat. And thanks to Trout, I I knew that the podcast inspired you. Don't worry, it will fly again. <laughs> it will. Uh, you know, to, to wrap up the trade talk, how exciting is this as a general manager when you can pull something like this off that is so impactful months before the deadline with a competitive team? This must be just the coup de grace for a guy in your situation. Well, I think as we were talking before the show, first of all, the, the, the coup de grace may have been the acquisition of David Hesslink, you know, one of our Oh, resident, we do need to get back to Hesslink. Yeah. You're right. Thank you for the reminder. Yeah. We, we, call it, we, we call our group down there the Mariners, and uh, there's, you know, J- Jesse is, the, is, is effectively grew, and, and the, the, <laughs> the, the Mariner minions do an unbelievable job, and they, and they really do work around the clock. But David Hesslink, I don't know if we've ever told this story on the podcast, but we actually had an opportunity to hire him as an intern after his graduation or what was expected to be his graduation from MIT last summer. He had applied for internships around the league, was widely regarded as the, the best intern candidate in baseball. And teams were falling over themselves trying to, to access Hesslink. And uh, he informed Justin Hollander, our director of baseball ops, who was running point on this effort for us, that he was that he, he was headed for the Giants, and he really appreciated the interest. But we were going to fall short, probably for for salary or monetary reasons. And and I said I, to to Justin, ah, we're not going to fall short. And we we sat down and, and came up with the idea: we're going to draft him. We're, we're going to draft David Hesslink. He was a baseball player at MIT. He finished out his he earned his degree. He finished out pitching in the spring. We drafted him in the late rounds. We paid him, let's call it a modest bonus that was that allowed us to exceed what somebody else was spending on his salary as a as a baseball operations assistant. Sent him out to play for a summer in Everett, where, as I understand it, he walked in the door at the reception desk on day one and said, "I'm the new pitcher. Can you point me toward the team?" <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and he's done a mar- marvelous job. He transitioned into the front office in the fall once the the Everett season was over. And, and that might be the coup de grace in this one. But being able to access two players who can impact us over a long season, like Denard Spann and Alex Colomay, or even in Colomay's case for multiple years in the future, at this stage in May was unexpected and I, and I think fortuitous. So hopefully these guys put us in a position come July where we can make you know another interesting call as to ways we might be able to improve ourselves. But... Really excited to get these guys, and 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 I know that the, from Scott to the staff to the players in the room, everybody was very excited when they heard the news. As you were talking, I typed in David Hesslink's baseball reference page, and it does exist. It does exist. He's officially a guy, uh, and let's see, six two, one hundred ninety pound lefty, and. Uh, you know the numbers aren't great, Jerry, on the mound for for David. But no, and, and I think David's his average heater was was let's call it something that would only marginally get you a ticket on a highway in <laughs> most states in the in the country, but effective we'll call it effective, crafty lefty, and uh, you know has I, the very first day that he went out and pitched for Everett, he uh, I, I'm off. This is off the top of my head. I believe he threw two shutout innings and punched out five what? or something like that. And uh, and our group up in Everett called and said, "This guy's awesome. He's deceptive. They don't see him." And I, and and that was the and I, and I think Hess would still 
support the fact that that's true. He is deceptive, and they don't see him. So, I mean, you really made this guy's dreams come true. He was a professional pitcher in short season ball, and now he's working in an analytics department uh, in a major league team. I mean, this is already more than what he could hope for to get on an actual professional mound and now be doing what he really wants to do in the front office. And I suspect one day we will all be working for him because hey, the resumes like, start right? to stack up. Yeah, this it's is kind of how it all is. Pretty good. What a story, man! That is fantastic. Well, congrats on the trade, Jerry, and Thank uh, thanks for shedding so much light on it. We're excited to see these guys at some point over the weekend, and excited to see if the Andrew Miller effect can uh, can take place sometime soon for Colomay. Hey, let's let's talk about what's been going on with your ball club over the last week or so since we last got together. Series win in Oakland. Uh, first of all. And Marco Gonzalez, career-high seven innings, two hits, one state on the infield, scoreless ball. Uh, he continues just to kind of get better and better as the season goes along. What are you making of Marco? I, I think this is what we've watched truly since the beginning of spring training. His, he came into spring training confident, commanding the ball, throwing it well. Like any pitcher, he's going to have a hiccup outing along mm-hmm. the way. And really what we're seeing is Marco Gonzalez – who he truly is, not Marco Gonzalez the year he's recovering from from Tommy John surgery or even Marco Gonzalez shuffled through a farm system in the blink of an eye. There's there's a reason why he was an All-American. There's a reason why he was he was drafted in the first round. There's a reason why when you look at the, the years where Marco has pitched healthy in the minor leagues, there's some pretty consistent themes. He doesn't walk a lot of them. He does strike a fair number of them out. He get, generally keeps the ball on the ground just enough and in the ballpark the right amount. It's a, he's got great makeup and character guy, and, and I'm so thrilled for his success because I think he deserves for people to know he's, he's pretty good. He's a little better than, than maybe people were giving him credit for. What does it mean to you when you look at Marco up on the mound, Segura, who is having another just tremendously impactful season for the Mariners, and a guy who's been extended. He'll be here for years to come. We all know what Mitch has been able to do so far this year. I mean, there's a lot of guys, Jerry, that you have brought in here who have been instant impact type guys. What does that mean to a general manager? It's exciting. You know, you, you do feel a connection to them, but I feel an equal connection to the guys that, that were brought in before, you mm-hmm. know, uh, the Canoes and the Crews and the Seegers and the Zaninos, you know, James Paxton. They're all great guys. And, and you know, I love this team. I love the fact that we as a front office have been able to contribute to what's going on downstairs, whether it be building that roster or in the case of Scott and the, and the crew, just developing a culture that works. But the, the players that you trade for and or that you draft, you feel an inherent connection to that player, and uh, it's it's fun. I will say that that uh, you know you watch the box score in a different way, or you watch that at bat in a different way, and uh, and particularly with the young guys who are trying to cut their teeth at the major league level, guys like Marco, like Daniel Vogelbach, you know, and I could fill in others: Mitch Hanniger, Ben Gamel. James Pazos, again, not yeah. to leave out. Too. Another one. Paz yeah. has been awesome, you know, with Guillermo Heredia. You watch their ups and downs, and you might – I try to be as even keel as I can, but in those instances, your emotions run more like a parent at a Little League game. You're rooting for them so hard because you want to see them get over that hump, and not just because we'll win that game, because you want to see them achieve what you know they're capable of achieving. And I think in each one of those cases – all of those guys have taken an incredible step forward. You know, in the case of a Ben Gamble just over the last two weeks, or the case of a James Pazos 
year over year, the improvement and, and the, the focus that he's brought to the table is remarkable. And, you know, the Seguras and the Hanegers, and the, these guys have been, they're studs. And, you know, what the other guys are showing us is that they can play with the studs too. Last time we got together, we talked about Guillermo, and we were excited to see how he would perform in an expanded role and essentially an everyday role. And we knew that he'd be seeing a lot of right-handed pitchers, and he has. And his numbers, Jerry, I don't have to tell you, right on right, have been tremendous so far this season. An average well over 300, an on-base hovering around 500. I mean, how do you go about assessing and still, I don't know what you consider a small sample size or not, uh, how do you go about assessing what he's been able to do right on right? Because that was kind of the, the main question mark for him. I think it was truly the only question mm-hmm. mark, and, and he's certainly answering them. I, I think some of those numbers start to normalize about 100-ish or 150 yeah. plate appearances, and, and and you get a pretty good idea of, of what the player is capable of. And, and in this case, we have seen Guillermo hit righties at the minor league level, but he had not yet done it in the big leagues. And, and frankly, he'd not been given a huge opportunity to do it day after day against the righties. And that's what he's showing us now is that he's taking it and running with it. I wish we could we, we could all say that we were throwing it that Guillermo Heredia we're, we're, we're locking it down now, 500 OBP v. right-hand pitching. <laughs> but I'd be lying to you. Uh, and, and, and likely, I, I would not suspect that he's going to run that kind of on base. Through, but I don't think it's inconceivable that that type of batting average isn't in Guillermo because he makes contact. And and he runs well enough that he doesn't always have to make hard contact to find his hits. And Guillermo uses the field. He is just as apt to use right center field, particularly against the right hand pitching, and use that that center portion, which I really think is, gives him a special connection with Edgar, who may have as much of a connection with with Guillermo's approach as anybody we have down there, because naturally that's the way Guillermo hits, and that is you know. Edgar wrote the book sure. on how to hit in that style, and, and I, I think it's, it's a good marriage. Something not to be overlooked that you subtly said there, plate appearances, not at-bats. Going into the final game in Oakland, it was about 40-ish plate appearances right on right for Guillermo, and I, I was amazed, nine walks. I mean, when you talk about seeing that breaking ball, especially that off-speed pitch, against a right-hander, I was really impressed with nine walks for Heredia facing a right-hander. Oh, it's huge. And, and one thing I will say about Guillermo, and I think you'll find it true of Denard Spann when he gets here, Guillermo, among our players, you know, and I, I, could, I could line him up in some you know, group, Mitch Hanniger's among them, Guillermo has as good an idea where the strike zone is as any player we have. He, he knows where the plate ends. Uh, you know, sometimes he's going he's gonna to chase above the zone, and I, the, the numbers will bear that out. But by and large, in and out, Guillermo knows the, the strike zone as well as anybody. Down, he knows the strike zone as well as anybody. And he has a history in his time in pro ball of generating his walks. And he did something similar in Cuba. When you were making the deal with Tampa Bay Rays, as you were just a fan of baseball, especially of what's happening right now in baseball, did Sergio Romo's name come up at all? Did you ask him about this? Well, you know, I, I did. I told Eric hey, we're looking to find impact, reliever, uh, you have one. We're hopeful that we can find an everyday outfielder who might have enough versatility to, to move around you know, different spots. Check, you've got one of those. We're also on the lookout for you know, a versatile, maybe swing man, starter, who might be able to, you know, to match up against the better teams in the league. Would you consider Sergio Romo? <laughs> you know, j- jokingly, I think sure. it's fascinating. And I did. I-, I said to Eric, actually prior to 
you know, th- this negotiation reaching, you know, the, the red zone, let's call it. We had jokingly talked about Romo. I, I picked up the phone after his second start, and, uh, and I said to him, you guys are fascinating. And, uh, you know, this is – it's fun. It's fun for, for fans. It's fun to talk about. It's fun for the broadcast, truly. You know, and, uh, and, and I do think that, that they have for a long time, whether it's Eric, it's Neander, it's Matt Silverman, it's previously Andrew Friedman, it's the Rays culture to push the envelope, to do some things that are just different than other teams because they can and in some way they have to. You know, their, their, their payroll dynamic or their market dynamic put them in a position to try to find creative ways to compete. And I thought this was a wildly creative way to, to envision yourself getting into the seventh inning of a game where you had left-handed starters lined up against a team that really handles left-handed starters well. So Romo has started twice on back-to-back days. I believe he's starting today, tonight rather, Friday and on Sunday. So they're doing it again with him for Tampa Bay. Uh, we're all, we are all fascinated to see if other teams will follow suit, if there are the right pieces for any other club to make this happen. Is this something that the Mariners have discussed, or is this something that you can envision at some point for the Mariners? I, I, I imagine I can envision it for most teams, but I do think that this is contingent to your culture. You know, one of the, you know, the Rays have been doing things like this. In fact, this very thing, you know, a handful of years ago, they did start Stephen Geltz in a game, a reliever. And, uh, and it wasn't as a spot start. They, they did it because that's the way they lined it up. And, you know, I think the, we had discussed it earlier this year as a possibility. And we didn't feel like for, for us culturally it sent the right message to, because of the way our group was, was constituted. But when you have a culture of doing creative, unique, kind of envelope-pushing things like the Rays have, it's almost like their players expect it and then in some way embrace it. And, you know, if we out of nowhere came up with, ah, we're going to start Nick Vincent tonight and then bring in Felix behind him, I'm not sure that would go over quite as well. You know, it's a little easier to pull off when you've got young players who are trying to cut their teeth than, than star-level players who, who might not react quite as easily. This has kind of helped also, not that this debate needed any more gas poured on it, but the idea of how many pitchers should be used in a game I think almost any manager would say, don't you dare limit me on how many pitchers I can use. Now you are, you are limiting on me on how I do my job. You are a former major league pitcher. And when you think about that, is that something that, that you just detest the idea of, Scott, you can only use seven pitchers today, six pitchers today. That's the major league limit. How, where do you fall on that? Well, the, the, the baseball historian in me loves the, the going back to the, to the 40s, 50s, 60s, when, when guys were throwing 25 complete games a year. You know, I will never forget that there's late in his life, I actually had through a, through a friend, through a common friend, uh, I had a chance to meet and get to know Warren Spahn a little bit. And, and sitting down with Warren Spahn and he, hearing him, you know, effectively talk about the, the fact that that starting pitchers being pulled out in the seventh inning was a travesty. And I, and I thought, you know, God bless Spahn, the, the late Warren Spahn, you know, if, what if he saw today? What, what, I mean, what, what would happen if he was watching a game today? How would he feel about it? But uh, the way I look at it is whatever you have to do to, to allow yourself the flexibility to outthink your opponent – uh, to outman your opponent, and part of this trade today was was in the effort to shrink the game. We it, it may result in us using more pitchers, 
But along the lines of what we've talked about being that Wolfpack type mentality, you've got to have the personnel to do it. And, you know, Cleveland has had the personnel to do it at this and various stages of their history. We feel like we're getting closer, and, uh, and I'm all for it. If you've got to use, I don't care how many you have to use to win the game, win the game. We'll get to some listener questions. Remember, you can always send us a question. Uh, simply email us, email the show, thewheelhouse at mariners.com. This is interesting. Uh, Peter apparently sent this email to thewheelhouse at mariners.com as the Mariners were being essentially no hits into the very late innings at home against the Tigers and, of course, came back to win that game. And his question is, the Mariners seem to be exceptionally good at scoring runs late in games. What do you see statistically that might explain this? And what do you believe it says about the makeup of the team as a whole? And I'll I'll take it even a step further, Jerry. Scoring runs late and in one-run games as well. 13 one-run wins for your ball club, the most in baseball. I want to say it's shocking because statistically, as Peter uh, alluded to, we have our hitters hit velocity and we make contact. Those are generally two things that late in the game are going to benefit you when you're facing the other team's hardest throwers who are more apt to miss your bat. So we are maybe a little more likely than others from a from a analytic or, or you know, I, I guess statistical bend. We are more likely to be able to come back versus that type of pitcher than many other teams in the league. And whether it's Gene Segura or D. Gordon or Ryan Healy, it's a they really don't have a problem catching up with that velocity. And at least in three of those three cases, mm-hmm. <laughs> they are they're quite adept at hitting bad balls. You know, the 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 pitch that you think you can't reach, they they, they hit them and and they hit them safely, which is a it's a tough thing in the late innings. And and I think that's really contributed to it. And I think part of what makes us good is the character of this club. They never feel like they're out of the game. They feel like they could score three innings regardless of the situation and and almost along the lines of of, hey, all right, they, we spotted them three. Don't worry, we'll come back in about two hours. Add to that the fact that on any given night, Jerry, maybe eight of the nine, if not every single guy can pop one out of the ballpark. That helps. You sure. know, it really does help. And and I think you can count Denard as one of those guys in many ways. You know, he also makes a lot of contact and and uh, and has the ability to pop one out on a given night. And, you know, it's it's such a fun group. It's kind of that any guy, any time mentality. They believe in each other. And I think their energy level really picks up in the last two or three innings because they've done it often enough now that they know they can. And if you ask them, they, they don't think they're out of any game at any time. Has O'Keefe told you about the new segment we're rolling out today, Stumping JD? You aware of this? I have heard it mentioned, and I can't even tell you how excited I am. Well, see, about it. I, there's, I'm going to embarrass myself publicly, but that's okay. I've karaoke. So th- this idea came up with the idea. Obviously, as you know, loyal listeners, Jerry loves baseball history. He loves the play index. It's well worth thirty dollars a year or whatever it is. Uh, and so we're going to come up with on a show by show basis, Jerry, just some type of random whether it be statistical, baseball trivia, historical question for you. And uh, the, the one I came up with, I find this fascinating, and this is very obscure. Can you tell me, Jerry, the only two players in baseball history over the course of their career, not a single season, to have stolen at least 20 bases and have never recorded a major league hit? One for certain is Herb Washington. Heck yes, it's Herb Washington. Uh, there's 
Two, 20 bags. Never a hit. Never a hit. Now, I will tell you. tell I'm me gonna, when you want a hit. You tell me. I'm not going to force it on you. This is your show. There's, I don't know the second. Herb Washington, for sure. Absolutely. I don't know the second. Okay. Much more modern times, like within the last five years. Terrence Gore. Yes! 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 He could fly. Yeah, Herb Washington, track runner, I believe, from Tennessee, who was was signed for but to a baseball contract by Charles Finley, the the you know eccentric owner of the Oakland A's, as as more of a gag. And I will never forget because Herb Washington had one baseball card in 1975 when I was now at the the onset of my collecting psychosis. And Herb Washington, I thought, had the coolest baseball card because on the back of his card, it said something like 50 games, the, the stolen base total, number of at-bats, zero. So at least Terrence Gore, they allowed to hold a bat. They you didn't know, even allow No, that's Herb. a great point. That's, a, that's sensational. Herb Washington, 1974 to 1975, z- zero plate appearances, yeah. as if that guy would have drawn a walk. 30, no, excuse me, I beg your pardon. Uh, 31 bags, caught 17 times. Not the most efficient. Yeah. Hey, track star. Terrence Gore, <laughs> Let's meanwhile. say this is no straightaway. Yeah. <laughs> Terrence Gore of postseason fame for the Royals and September fame more than anything. Um, Terrence Gore actually has had at-bats. He's had 11, 14 plate appearances, never a hit. Uh, has drawn a walk, though. And for Terrence, 21 bases, only caught stealing four times. Jerry, this is sensational. Fine work. That's I, it. I, I knew – I mean, I would have been surprised if you didn't get both. I thought Herb Washington, just for the historical part of it all, you would get. Terrence Gore could easily kind of be under the radar because it's like if you, you had to be watching the Royals at the right time, right, to actually see Terrence Gore. Now, a lot of that was in a postseason push, so maybe that could have happened, but. Well, I mean, the funny thing is I have seen him up close and personal in the, in the postseason where it, it is – it kills you in a series to have a guy like Terrence Gore sitting on the bench. The other team, as soon as someone gets on base, the, the, the ringing of the hands immediately, the sweat over the brow, because you know he can virtually just go at any point. And we saw it last year with Gerard Dyson. We see it this year with D. Gordon. Having that element on the bases, it, it is so disruptive to the course of a game. I think it's a blast. I'm thrilled by how this went, Jerry. I, I would have felt horrible if you didn't get both of them. I, I would have felt great about myself. Um, <laughs> but I would have felt terrible because you, I mean, you Well, you are, gave me a hint, to be, to be fair. You know, I did t- I? Yeah, I needed, no, well, oh, I needed oh, to be More pushed. recent times, still, that's fine. Hey, so, not to digress too much, but as we're talking about base dealers, how about that throw from Zanino to get Fowler the other night? Huge play. Huge play. And I don't know, you know, I don't know if that game was a season or that play was a season changer or game changer, but I do know, and I, and this was shared with me by someone else who I I trust and believe in that that was as big a moment for Juan Nicasio in this season at a time where he's trying to pull himself out of a bit of a tailspin for him to have that moment where Mike Zanino kind of energetically came and, and picked him up and John Andrioli dives in the gap and picks him up. That's what teams do. And, and it kind of it leads you to believe that there's something special about this group of players. It was huge. It was absolutely huge. As good of a throw as we've seen Mike make. And he's had a lot of good ones, as you well know. 
We'll wrap things up around the horn. Hey, tonight we start a 10-game homestand. It's so good to be home for a this is the longest homestand on the Mariners have had so far this season. Sunday, both Little League Day and Second Chance Mother's Day. So good stuff to be had at the ballpark on Sunday. Monday through Thursday versus the Rangers. All Mariners value games presented by BECU. View level and bleacher seats, 15 bucks. Main level, club level, and club level for $30. And then um, Friday, June 1st, Jerry's next trade will be made while he is wearing Mariner's pajama pants. Uh, the first 10,000 fans taking home a pair of Mariner's PJs. And, uh, Jerry, we have in between us right here, as I hold in my right hand, the uh, Nelson Cruz Pop Collectible, free to the first 20,000 fans. That is on Saturday, June the 2nd. You want to describe what the Pop Collectible looks like, Jerry? It, it looks like a Square-headed, oversized keychain, some <laughs> cross between a cartoonish Nelson Cruz and Ben Stiller in a variety of different movies. <laughs> With a boomstick bat. But these are huge, man. I mean, these are like, this is as big as a bobblehead. I think it's pretty cool, actually. And the bat actually says boomstick on it in old Batman-style uh, exploding letters. So, uh, hey, Jerry, congratulations again on the trade. This has been a really fun podcast. It's good to get to get with you in person here inside Safeco Field. And here is to a fantastic homestand. Thanks for the time. Hoping so. Thank you, Jerry. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.